0: Father, as we just sung moments ago, how great thou art. We do ask you now that you would speak to us, O Lord, and teach us full obedience. That you'd speak to us now, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us to grasp the truths contained in your word. Help us to proclaim these truths until... Your church is built. Father, as we've been studying this psalm, we see the absolute necessity of the Word of God in our lives, that we need it to live a blessed life, that we need it to live a pure life, a life of wisdom, a life that depends upon a strength that only you can provide, depend upon your Word to find joy that only comes from knowing you and following after you on this afternoon, to be dependent upon your word, to know more of your love for us. And so we thank you for this time that we can open up your holy word and be changed by it. We pray for your Spirit's work in each one of our hearts and minds to transform us and conform us more into the image of your Son, that we may reflect him in this world, that through our weakness his power would be displayed and that all those around us might be drawn to why we live the way that we do and ask, why do you live that way? And then we can proclaim the hope that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you for your word once again. Help us to be attentive to it. Help us to not just be hearers but also doers, lest we deceive ourselves. We thank you for this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm one nineteen verses forty one to forty eight. May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation according to your word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word, and do not take away the truth the word of truth utterly from my mouth, for I wait for your judgments. So I will keep your law continually for ever and ever, and I will walk in a wide place, for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will muse on your statutes. I've titled this sermon, Truth and Love. Truth and Love. What comes to mind when you think of love? What comes to mind when you think of love? What definition of love are you living life according to? Have you been more influenced and affected by worldly love or Hollywood love as you see in the movies, that that's what true love is or this touchy-feely love or even politically driven love or this self-seeking and defining relative love that this culture is trying to promote, that love is love and if you don't love what I love, then you're unloving And have these different types of love, worldly love, Hollywood love, touchy-feely love, politically driven love, relative love, have they altered and shaped your choices and your decisions and the application of your love towards others? How you relate to others, how it relates to your interactions with unbelievers and your proclamation of the gospel. How it can lead to a fear of men and a fear of not wanting to offend anybody. Though Christ says in his word, or the Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians, that the gospel message itself is foolishness to those who are perishing. How it relates to truth and the word of God, your understanding of love. Vodibachum has said, quote, the modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. Close quote. When you think of love, does God come to mind? When you think of love, does God come to mind? And is it according to and based upon and consistent with truth? Namely, the truth of God's word. As Christians, we often thank God for his love. It's God's love that was demonstrated, that saved us and redeemed us. But we can often fail to contemplate God's love because our lives are inconsistent in the Word of God, or we have wrongly understood the love of God as that which we think we deserve, according to our standard of being loved, or as that by which we measure His love for us through our circumstances and experiences. But it is the very Word of God which reveals and details and declares God's love for us. The love of God is a declared reality by God because God is love. And everything that God does is consistent with his nature and essence and cannot contradict it. Isaiah 54, verse 10 in the Old Testament says, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says Yahweh, who has compassion on you. In the New Testament, John 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, again, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In the Old Testament, Yahweh says, <clears throat> says that he will show his loving kindness and have compassion on them. In the New Testament, Jesus says, demonstrate love just as I have loved you. God's love comes to us through the word of God because in the word of God, God declares. God declares his love and demonstrates his love. Notice verse 41b. The psalmist says, your salvation according to your word. How do we know the love of God? How do we know the love of God? He saves us, he redeems us, he transforms us. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her demonstrated love. Ephesians 1 verse 4, He, God the Father, chose us in Him, God the Son, before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. And so do you ever doubt the love of God for you? In times of difficulty and trial and suffering, we could be more prone to doubt God's love for us rather than to run to and cling to and affirm God's unchanging love towards us. Do you ever doubt the love of God? That he truly and deeply and personally loves you, no matter what's going on in your life. That the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, where every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Is your view of God's love too limited? Is your view of God's love too deficient? And could it be because you are personally weak in the word of God? Could it be because you have been personally negligent in the study of God's word, where God's love is declared to you? The psalmist prays here in verse 41, May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation, according to your word. And what happens when you come to a greater understanding of the degree and depth of God's love declared in his word? Notice verse 47, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will muse on your statutes. God's love produces within you a greater love for God the God of the Word and the Word of God. You love God more as a result of knowing God more and knowing His love more. and Therefore, you delight and love to keep His commandments and to meditate upon His Word. That's what the psalmist is saying here. It's not, I will do all these things and then I will grow in my love for God. It's, I will grow in my understanding of God's love and then I will grow in my love for God and obey out of a heart that loves Him. And so you've been looking at and viewing God's love, have you been looking at and viewing God's love incorrectly? God's love which is immutable, meaning unchanging. God's love which is impassable, not vulnerable to emotional fluctuation or passions because God is not subject to alteration or loss, either from within or affected by his relationship to anything outside of himself. In other words, God is infinite in perfection and is not in need of any change. What we do does not affect God's love for you. God's love which is holy and pure. God's love which is not dependent upon anything that we do, but solely a demonstration of his character and nature according to the kind intention of his will. Sinclair Ferguson has said, quote, The Father does not love us because we are sinners, but he does love us even though we are sinners. A.W. Pink has said, quote, He foresaw my every fall. My every sin, my every backsliding, yet nevertheless, fixed His heart upon me. Close quote. This is the love of God, and it is declared in His Word, and it goes hand in hand with objective truth, not subjective feelings. And having the wrong understanding of God's love can affect the Christian life, or you, your living of the Christian life, of sanctification and justification where you seek to do things in order to be justified rather than understanding that you're justified and therefore you're going to do all these things out of a love for Christ. Truth and love go together and can never be separated. Therefore, in order to gain a greater understanding of the depth of God's love, you must look to the word of God. So that you can align and view all of your circumstances and trials and suffering and opportunities through the lens of God's love according to his word, which in turn will produce within you deeper, a deeper love to trust and obey him. In verses 33 to 40, we learn that joy in scripture is not tied to circumstances. And here, neither is love. We saw that joy in scripture is tied to God. All joy comes from God and is found in God which is why the psalmist looked to and prayed to God and asked in verse 33, instruct me, O Yahweh, and in verses 34 and 39, cause me to live in a way that is pleasing to you. We must depend upon God to cause us to understand his words so that we would observe it. And we must depend upon God to cause us to walk in the path of his commandments so that we would delight in it. The psalmist asked Yahweh to instruct him for the purpose, if you remember from last week, of wholehearted, all of life, to the end of life, obedience. Because end of of verse 35, he says, For I delight in it. I find a high degree of satisfaction and pleasure in it. I find joy in it. So how can we experience true joy from God in this life? We took note of four dependent pursuits whereby we can experience this true joy from God in this life. Joy comes from obeying God's word. Joy comes from turning away from sin. Joy comes from knowing God or fearing God, worshiping him, And joy comes from longing for God. If you neglect the Word of God, you are casting aside joy from God for your life, the joy that only God can provide. This week, we will see another aspect of our lives that depends upon the God of the Word and the Word of God. This week, if you neglect the Word of God, you are casting aside a greater and deeper understanding of God's love. If you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside a greater and a deeper understanding of God's love, the depth of his love for you. Or you can look at it as the blessing or promise of a greater and deeper understanding of God's love that come to those who commit and devote their lives to the word of God. How can you know more of the love of God for you? This love that comes from God because God is love, and this love that is not predicated on anything that you do. You have to know God's word. You have to know God's word. And how does God's love for you translate into displaying your love for him? We will take note of five life-transforming results because of the love of God for us. We'll take note of five life-transforming results because of the love of God for us. Because of God's love, you can, number one, pray confidently, verse 41. Secondly, in verses 42 and 43, because of God's love, you can answer boldly. Third, verses 44 and 45, because of God's love, you can persevere diligently. Verse 46, because of God's love, you can witness unashamedly. And lastly, verses 47 through 48, because of God's love, you can obey joyously. You can obey joyously. So first, because of God's love, verse 41, you can pray confidently. The psalmist says, may your loving kindnesses Also come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation according to your word. The psalmist here is praying confidently to Yahweh because he is confident in who Yahweh is. Yahweh is known for his loving kindnesses, plural. And he acts according to who he is and according to his word. In Psalm 25, verse 6, David says, Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. In Isaiah 63, verse 7, speaks of the abundance of Yahweh's love and the compassion he has in dealing bountifully with his covenant people, Israel. And it says there, I shall bring to remembrance the loving kindnesses of Yahweh, the praises of Yahweh, according to all the ways that Yahweh has dealt bountifully with us and the abundant goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has dealt bountifully to them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. And Lamentations 3.22, the loving kindnesses of Yahweh indeed never cease for his compassions never fail. This word loving kindness is the word hesed. It's a steadfast love. It speaks of God's faithfulness, God's mercy, his unfailing love and his unfailing kindness, his covenant loyalty to his people. It is this loyal love that the psalmist prays would come to him, not because it has left him, nor because he is trying to earn it, but because he knows who God is and that he acts according to his word. As Christians, we can pray confidently because we are personally and deeply and greatly and loyally loved by God. And we know it is out of God's great love that salvation, deliverance, redemption comes to us. Redemption is tied solely and purely on God's love and gracious choice, and his faithfulness to keep his covenants according to his word. Truth and love go together. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9, in speaking of Israel, it says, For you are a holy people to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Yahweh did not set his affection on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because Yahweh loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers. Yahweh brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You shall know, therefore, that Yahweh, your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. In Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 7, it says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through jesus christ to himself why according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our transgressions again according to the riches of his grace in case we missed it the first time this is god's love unconditional according to the good pleasure of his will according to the riches of his grace, faithful forever love that transforms our love for him and our prayer life so that we pray confidently. And here the psalmist is not asking for a favor from God. He is claiming a promise of the covenant. This is why he's so confident, end of verse 41, because he prays according to your word. Because according to God's word, we can know that he is God, a God who saves, a God who loves faithfully and steadfastly. And so we can pray confidently that his loving kindnesses would also come to us. He acts according to his nature. It is consistent with who he is. It's consistent with his word. He has both declared it and demonstrated it in his word, ultimately and finally in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon has said, quote, the way of salvation is described in the word. Salvation itself is promised in the word, and its inward manifestation is wrought by the word so that in all respects, the salvation which is in Jesus Christ is in accordance with God's word. It's declared and demonstrated and revealed to us in God's word. This is how you will know more of the love of God for you. Romans 8.32, He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Who is us all? Believers. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We can run to God in prayer and pray confidently. Romans eight twenty six through 28 says, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he, he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then it says, and we know. We can pray confidently because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And Hebrews 4, six, fourteen, and 16, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So are you praying confidently in light of the love of God? What happens when you are confident about something? You're absolutely sure of it. You're certain. You're secure about it. If you were to ask me what one plus one is, the answer is two. It's clear. I'm super confident that one plus one is two. I'm certain of it. Much more important and relevant is the gospel and God's love. You've been those who have been delivered from sin, redeemed by Christ, experienced his love. Are you confident in that love? Are you confident enough to go proclaim it to others? That you're so sure that the gospel has the power to save that you will go to your neighbor's That you'll go to family members. You will go to those who persecute you and speak the truth in love, gently and reverently. The first and pray also confidently, though you may be not confident, you can pray to God because he is trustworthy and your confidence should be in him. The first life transforming result is that because of God's, the love of God, you can pray confidently. The second, verses 42 to 43, because of the love of God, you can answer boldly. You can answer boldly, 42 and 43. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Do not take away the word of truth utterly from my mouth, for I wait for your judgments. Not only can you pray confidently, but you can answer boldly those who reproach you. Those who mock you, revile you, taunt you, treat you with contempt. Inevitably, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, Second Timothy 3.12. And notice why the psalmist is being mocked and taunted. The second line of verse 42. For I trust your word. For I trust your word. Have you experienced that? Because of your lifestyle. Because of who you live for and who you follow because you trust in God's word and therefore do not agree with, approve, celebrate what is contrary to the truth of Scripture. That's a good thing. That's a good thing because it gives you an opportunity to give an answer. If you're not living any differently, you're not going to have opportunities to give an answer. But if you do live distinctly, you will. And the psalmist says here, so I will have an answer. I will have an answer because he knows and he trusts in the word of God. And the word trust carries the idea of believing boldly. And to have an answer means to give a reply, to respond to a question, to give evidence, meaning those who reproach you will ask you questions. And so you are able to answer them boldly, confidently. This is an opportunity that arises out of your good conduct. First Peter three thirteen through 16 says, And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their fear, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and fear, having a good conscience so that in the thing in which they, you are slandered, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. And in verse 43, in light of the reviling, the psalmist asks God not to take away the word of truth utterly from his mouth. And why does he do that? Because he wants to continue to answer boldly and not cower in silence. That is why he says, do not take away the word of truth utterly from my mouth. He wants to keep speaking and answering boldly of the hope that is within him. He wants to continue to answer boldly with the truth as he waits or hopes or expectantly looks forward to God's judgments, which are according to his standard of truth and righteousness, even knowing that should free us from the fear of man or the fear of their response to the truth, that God is the ultimate judge. We're called to be faithful to proclaim and answer boldly. We're not responsible for their conversion. And so instead of pondering how people respond to the truth, the psalmist prays that truth would never be taken away from his mouth so that he will have an answer for him who reproaches. God's love should lead us to speaking up and giving an answer because we love him. And the second life-transforming result is that because of the love of God, you can answer boldly. The third is that you can persevere diligently. Verses 44 and 45. The psalmist is resolved and fixed on persevering diligently. He says, so I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I will never stop living for you, in other words. He understands that he's headed for glory. That's his future. He understands that that's what's awaiting him. It only gets better. He knows that Romans 8:29 and 30. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8.39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is your understanding of God's love based upon this truth? Or is it based upon, again, your feelings or your works Or your circumstances, which might be hindering your progress forward. The psalmist lives and walks in the present in light of his future. He says in verse 45, And I will walk in a wide place, for I seek your precepts. Walk refers to his lifestyle and conduct. And that is why he says, for I seek your precepts. Precepts, which refers to directions or instructions that serve as a rule for his personal conduct. And the word that the psalmist uses here for wide place, some of your translations probably don't have that, but it's an interesting word. It has the sense of a spacious place, an open field, a place that is noted for its vastness with implications also of safety and freedom, which is why some have translated it as liberty. It speaks of one who is out of prison, who is unimpeded by adversaries, one who is unencumbered by burdens, one who is unshackled and given a wide place to roam without fear the psalmist is saying that he will walk in a wide place in freedom in liberty because true freedom is living for god true freedom is living to do god's will he has been freed from sin and freed to live for god john eight thirty six. so the son makes you free you will be free indeed Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. That changes who you are. That changes how you live. That causes you to seek God's word and to persevere diligently according to it. The psalmist says, For I seek your precepts. To seek is to reach for something one desires, to inquire about it and to be intent on it. That's one of the first signs thinking back to my conversion, where I knew that God had saved me. I hated reading growing up. Any kind of books. You could hand me a book, I'd just pretend to read it. Actually, that was one of my parents are here. I would get in trouble, and my dad would send me to my room and said, go read your book. That's how much I hated books. He knew it would be a punishment that if I had to go to my room and read a book. And so that continued on all the way through college until I was saved. And then all of a sudden... All I wanted to do was read God's word. I couldn't get enough of it. This desire, this seeking after God's precepts and his statutes and his commandments, I knew didn't come from within myself. God changed my heart to love him. And so all I wanted to do was read his word. I remember walking to class in college. Yeah, I had like five or six classes each day. Not each day, every other day or so. I would walk to class, read the Bible on my phone, go to class, put my phone down because I could not be on my phone, wait till class was over, pick up my phone, read some more, and I would just walk everywhere reading the Bible because I couldn't get enough of it. And so here the psalmist says, I seek for your precepts to reach for something one desires and to be intent on it. And this desire comes from God's love. Romans five five the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so because of God's love and having a proper understanding of God's love, which gives you a different perspective about life, an eternal perspective, you can persevere diligently. You can persevere diligently. The third life-transforming result is that because of the love of God, you can persevere diligently. The fourth is verse 46. You can witness unashamedly. You can witness unashamedly. We already saw in verses 42 and 43 that you can answer boldly those who reproach you, those who taunt and revile and mock you. That was referring to an opportunity that arises from your good conduct before them. Here, this is speaking about opportunities to testify of God before all, to witness, to declare, and to proclaim. And here for the psalmist, specifically before kings, it didn't matter who, whether those in high high authority or those who were poor, he was willing to witness unashamedly. He says in verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. To speak means to declare to another, to state something emphatically and authoritatively. And you can do that without being ashamed because you're speaking God's testimonies. You're declaring and making known the divine witness of God's word, the majesty of his glory, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the gospel, the hope of salvation, the joy of eternal life, the splendor of his kingdom. Why would you be ashamed of that? Why would you be ashamed of declaring to another all of those things? First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's one of the purposes that he saved us, is to proclaim him and to make him known. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 2 Corinthians 5, verses fourteen fifteen 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on, again on their behalf. So are you controlled by the love of Christ? Or are you controlled by your love for Christ? where you think you need to measure up, where you need to do more to earn God's love, which is already perfect and unchanging, can be altered in any way. You need to focus more on God's love for you and have that transform your life and your conduct and your speech and your actions. Second Corinthians 5, verse 11 says, So then, knowing the fear or the awesomeness, the power, the greatness, the amazing love of the Lord, we persuade men. Verse 20 says, So then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It says here, We've been saved to proclaim the excellencies of him. We've been saved to persuade men. We've been saved to be ambassadors for Christ, to beg on behalf of Christ, for others to be reconciled to God. We can witness unashamedly. Because Romans 1, 16 and 17. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's the only saving message this world has. It's the only hope of salvation. It's the only hope for forgiveness of sins. It's the only hope for eternal life. It's the gospel. We must proclaim it. We must witness unashamedly. And so do you struggle witnessing unashamedly about Christ. If that is the case, I would suggest that you begin by contemplating the love of God. Begin by contemplating the love of God and considering afresh the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps maybe picking up a book on the attributes of God. I know the ladies just did that. Any of them are pretty good. Just turn to the chapter on the love of God and read it. Perhaps read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about Christ, his earthly ministry, his love displayed and demonstrated for you as he walked to the cross that Passion Week. Your heart will be filled with love. Perhaps it's reading other books. There's a great Puritan paperback by John Bunyan titled All Loves Excelling. All Loves Excelling. That will again remind you of God's great love for you so that you can go and witness unashamedly about him. the fourth life-transforming result is that because of the love of God, you can witness unashamedly. And the last is found in verses 47 and 48. Because of the love of God, you can obey joyously. Because of the love of God, the psalmist loves to obey joyously the word of God. He says, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. To delight is to find joy, and to to love is to have great affection and care for. This expresses the intensity that he has. And he adds in verse 48, And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, to exalt. This expresses the posture or attitude of his worship. And then he adds again, Which I love. I love your word. I love to worship you. And because of his joy and love for God's word, and in obeying God's word, he says, and I will muse on your statutes. I will meditate on it. I will speak to myself about it. I will reflect deeply on it. It will occupy my attention. Psalm 1, verse 2, the blessed man is the man whose delight is in the law of the Yahweh. And in his law, he meditates on it day and night. It consumes him. Psalm 119, verse 97. The psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. What you love, you will find joy in. What you love, you will meditate upon. What or who you love, you will obey. Because the psalmist loves the God of the Word and the Word of God, he finds joy in obeying. He finds joy in obeying. It's first because he recognizes the love of God for him not because he's trying to work to attain God's love. God's love is with him fully and completely. The fifth life-transforming result is that because of the love of God, you can obey joyously. And so if you neglect the word of God, if you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside a greater and a deeper understanding of God's love, the depth of his love for you that is declared, and demonstrated in his revealed word. Not through some subjective, mystical experiences. How can you know more of the love of God for you? This love that comes from God because God is love. This love that is, again, not predicated on anything that you do. You have to know God's word. And how does God's love for you translate into displaying your love for him through your life? We've seen five life-transforming results because of the love of God. Again, because of God's love, we can pray confidently, approach his throne of grace where he will help us and give us grace. We can answer boldly those who reproach us, not fearing them. We can persevere diligently. We can look forward knowing that we're headed to glory, that nothing will hinder our walk. Our future is sure, our future is certain. And so we can walk the wide path and persevere diligently. You can also witness unashamedly. There's no longer a fear of rejection, a fear of man's response. But because of the love of God, you know that you can go out and proclaim it and declare it because the gospel is the power for salvation. And lastly, you can obey joyously because you know more of the love of God. You know what kind of master he is. Do you know the love of God? Do you desire to know more of the love of God? Pray as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian saints in Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19, that God would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Pray that. And we can pray confidently because as we pray scripture, we know we're praying God's word. Also remind yourself of how deep the Father's love for you. Remind yourself of how deep the Father's love for you, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. How deep the Father's love for us. What wonder of wonders, what love is this, that Christ would die for me? His goodness, his merit, his righteousness, the sinner's only plea, Oh, foolish pride, be crucified. The work is finished. Christ cried out, it is finished. And now we cry out, it is well with my soul. All my boast is in Jesus. All my hope is his love. And I will glory forever in what the cross has done. Reflect on God's love for you that is displayed and declared and detailed in his word. In his word. A greater understanding of God's love for you will produce in you a greater love for Him. Again, do you love God's Word? Do you love God's commandments? Do you seek after His precepts? When you love God's Word with all your heart, you're loving God with all your heart. And when you love God with all your heart, it will diminish, and it will distance your desire for the things of this world and deliver your minds from any fears and any worries, and it will allow you to display and demonstrate His love by your exercise of it according to truth. Steve Lawson has said, quote, truth must guide the exercise of our love. Our love must be guided by the knowledge of the truth. There are boundaries to our love. It is the truth that increases our love for God and our love for one another. Truth is the needle that pulls the thread of love through the fabric of our lives. End quote. And so commit, I pray that we would all commit and devote our lives to the the God of the Word and the Word of God. Again, because if you neglect the Word of God, you are casting aside a greater and a deeper understanding of God's love, the depth of God's love for you, that will transform your life so that you do pray confidently, answer boldly, persevere diligently, witness unashamedly, and obey joyously. This is the power of God's Word as we reflect and meditate upon and grow in our knowledge of his love for us. And the bottom line is, if you want to love God more, if you want to love God more, you need to know more of his love. And the only way to know more of his love for you is to be in his word. Is to be in his word. If that's not a motivation for you to open up your Bibles daily and to learn more about your great God, I hope that you would want to know more of his love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the psalmist who penned these words inspired by your spirit many, many years ago. And Now your word is still living and active in these timeless truths. It still has the power to conform us and transform us. Thank you for your instruction according to your word. Thank you for the truth the reality of what love is, that you are love, and that your word has given us commandments in how we ought to love one another. Thank you that we can look to you in all things. Thank you that your word is all that we need for life and godliness, that it is sufficient to guide us in this life, that it has the power not only to sanctify, but to convict and to encourage our hearts to greater obedience out of joy that it produces within our hearts greater affections, therefore greater worship, that even would work in our hearts, in each one of our hearts and lives, to proclaim with our mouths the saving message of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the good news. And so we pray that you would strengthen us by your grace, by your Spirit, and allow us to live according to these truths that we've heard today. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.